when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black today.com and now your host evan Grote. and let's go raider nation welcome back you're tuning in to just pod baby i'm your host evan Grote. back after a week off and this is the first off-season edition 2021 we have some news to discuss gus bradley was hired as the new defensive coordinator We will get into that at the top of the show. Also tonight, I'll give you my grades for the offense in 2020. I'll go through each position one by one, give you my thoughts, both positives and negatives. Later in the show, we'll be joined by two guests. First, we'll have Marcus Mosier, who's the managing editor at Raiders Wire for USA Today. We're going to ask him about one of his latest pieces. Should the Raiders sign Leonard Williams? He's a hot name right now amongst Raider fans. Also, I want to ask him about maybe some of the other players that the Raiders might want to consider in free agency. We're also going to get some of his thoughts on the hiring of Gus Bradley and much, much more. Now, following Marcus, we will chat with Anthony Tresh of Pro Football Focus. Anthony is a senior college football analyst at PFF, and he uh, just this week he released his first mock draft. Um, I, I thought he had some interesting selections in there, so uh, I want to discuss it with him. And this is something that I will do quite often going forward on the show is uh, maybe even each week or every other week, we're going to bring in a guest who has recently completed a mock draft and and, and get some of the thought process and the logic behind some of those picks. Uh, so if you're a big fan of mock drafts like I am, then uh, you're, you'll enjoy that. But tonight we begin with the big news from the week Gus Bradley is now the man in charge with turning this defense around. The Raiders made it official on Tuesday afternoon. And, you know, things really move quickly as as I thought it would. I thought this move would come sooner rather than later. They interviewed him late last week, and, and by mid-afternoon on Tuesday, they uh, they announced that they, they hired him, and he was meeting with the media very, very shortly after that. So things really uh, pro- progressed quite, quite quickly. Um, and I, I have mixed feelings about the, the the hiring of Bradley. I said from the start, I thought they needed to hire a coach who what uh, was a great teacher, um, that had a good scheme, uh, had a history of, of developing young talent and a track record of some success. Those were the things that I was looking for. I think Gruden talked about it, and and he had a lot of the same criteria and by all means you know Gus Bradley he does fit that criteria if you look back through his his years in the league as a defensive coordinator uh, starting with his time in in, um, Seattle you know the Hawks they ranked 26th in in the league in in points allowed um, in with 24 points a game it was when he first came in as their defensive coordinator back in 2009 and, and then by the time he left in after the 2012, uh, 2012 season, they were first in a league, only allowing 15 points a game. And I, you know, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that, of course. I mean, he was the guy calling the plays. He was the guys that helped develop uh, a lot of those players. I, I do, though, have I do have two concerns with that. And you can take this for for what it's worth, but I'm going to at least throw it out there uh, and let you think about it a little bit. How much of the success that he had in Seattle was the Pete Carroll effect. Because we know that Pete Carroll, he he is a very good defensive mind in this league, one of the best. So I think that is something that you have to consider, is that Carroll did play a, a big role in that as well. The other uh, factor that I think you have to consider um, is that there was some darn good talent uh, during those years uh, in Seattle. Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Bruce Irving, Bobby Wagner. Those were all guys that were brought in between 2009 and 2012. That's pretty remarkable. Now, coaching is obviously a big part of that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that uh, he doesn't deserve credit for developing those players, but my philosophy with, with any sport 
uh, with a team and a coach is that a coach is only as good as his players. That's just the way I see it. Now, uh, an example of that, I mean, Bill Belichick, I mean, he's a great coach, pro- probably the greatest coach of all time. But this season, look what happened to the Patriots. You lose Brady, you have some guys that opt out, and they they struggle to win games this year. So uh, as good as a coach as as Belichick is, uh, you see what happens when there just isn't a lot of talent there. So um, that that's just kind of how I see it. Um, you know, let's be honest, Bobby Wagner and Richard Sherman, they're not walking through the door anytime soon for this Raiders team. Uh, at least not the the 2020 or 2012 version of Richard Sherman. I know there there's some people out there that uh, would like to see Sherman come to the Raiders. He's a free agent, and they, and they think that's a natural fit with with Gus Bradley being the new coordinator. Uh, but again, there's just the, the talent level is is not as good <laughs> with this Raiders roster. Now we all know he was not very successful as the head coach in Jacksonville. Uh, but more coaches than not. I mean, m- most coaches that go to Jacksonville fail. So I- I'm not really going to put too much emphasis on that experience that he had there. Uh, I think it was good. it's good experience that he was able to be a head coach, and I think that'll that'll be something that'll benefit not only him, but but the, the team as a whole. So I think that is a good experience as well. Um, and then his latest stop as, as defensive coordinator with the Chargers – where Raider fans had a chance to see him, you know, up close and personal for a few years. Uh, you know, he did have some level of success, especially in that 2017 season, the first season. Uh, the Chargers ranked third in the league, points allowed. And that's really the number I like to look at is, is points allowed. I mean, yardage, yeah, that's great too. I'm looking at points allowed and, and turnovers. And, uh, not only were they third in points allowed that year, they were also third in the league in takeaways, okay, or, or turnover differential, I should say. Uh, so that that's something that I like to see. Now, things did dip a bit in the following season. They fell down to eighth in points. Oh, God, eighth. I mean, that's, that's still really good, still top 10. Uh, 2019, they were 14th still, still very good. If the Raiders could, could get to 14th in the league, points allowed, wow, that would uh, definitely a playoff team if the offense can continue to do what they did. And finally, in, in this past season, 2020, they fell out of the top 20 all the way down to 23rd. Uh, but, you know, overall, I think it was it was a good—he uh, he was successful when you look at his total picture, right, uh, total body of work. And I will say that those Charger teams, they, they all had some talent. I think Bosa and Ingram, and they've always had some decent corners on those teams. But they, they always were riddled with injuries, too, over the last several years. Okay, Derwin James, I think he's missed two seasons, right? In the past, well, he's played three years, and he's missed uh, two seasons, I think. So they, they've dealt with some injuries, and they still were able to, to get that group to compete pretty pretty well. Now, he's going to be bringing over two of his position coaches with him from, from L.A., from which, from what I have heard, by, by all accounts, uh, these are two very well-respected position coaches, Richard Smith, he's going to be coaching the linebackers, and, and Ron Milas will handle the DB duties. And uh, you know these these guys, uh, Smith will will be tasked with trying to rejuvenate Corey Littleton. He was brought in last year to be a big part of this defense, uh, one of the the better cover linebackers in the league, and he really struggled this season. That's going to be a, a big task for Smith is to try to get Littleton back on track after a largely disappointing first season and and with with Milas, you know, he's going to step in. He's got a young secondary here with some talent, but but also have been a disappointment. So he these two guys uh, along with Bradley ha- have have big jobs here ahead of them. There's a lot of work to do and and there's not a lot of time to get it done. Uh they they must get more from each of those positions, no doubt about it. Now just some of my general thoughts. You know, look, this is not the splash hire that I was looking for. I, I've made it very clear that Wade Phillips was the guy that I wanted. Uh, but I'm not turning my nose up at this hire. Um, the only way to go up, really, with this defense is, is up. The only way to go is up with this defense, right? I mean, to put it this way, I, I don't think that he can screw things up any more than they are right now. So I'm on board with the hire. Um and the and the and the one last thing that I, that I do like, um, 
is is all the positive things that I've been hearing about Gus Bradley from players that he's coached, um, guys that he's worked with. Monty Kimfin has had some really, really high praise for him. Um, he was part of the reason why he was hired uh, by the Seahawks in the first place. By all accounts, I mean, he is touted as a great mind, a great coach, a player's coach, full of energy, uh, enthusiastic, positive. So uh, those are do th- those those are all things that I really like. I've seen players come out on his behalf and congratulate him on Twitter. So that tells you that's very telling. That tells you that players enjoyed playing for him, and I, I think that 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 means a lot. So again, those are just some of my initial thoughts. Um, and, and I do think there is there's one thing working against him. I, I do think it's worth mentioning is there's a lot of pressure right now on the Raiders to be a playoff team next year. And much of that pressure, not only is it on Gruden, because oh, he, he's the head coach of the team, but I think Bradley steps in now, and there's a lot of responsibility that falls on his shoulders. A big reason this team was not in the playoffs this year was because of the horrendous play of the defense, right? We can all agree on that. And so the pressure's on. The things need to get turned around quickly with this defense. I'm talking about taking a defense who was ranked 30th in scoring allowed, points allowed, and getting them to be, you know, in that 20 to 22 range. That's the kind of impact, that's the kind of improvements that this team needs to see. They don't got to go to top 10. They don't need to be the 12th or the 13th. They got to just get it down to the 20th in that area. You know, this cannot be a three-year, this cannot be a a gradual process. This unit has to be churned into a respectable unit next year. It's got to happen fast because I just think that we all agree and we all believe that this is a playoff caliber offense. They're ready to go. So the defense has got to make it happen quickly. There's a lot of pressure on Bradley to get it done. Okay, we're going to move on. We'll continue the Gus Bradley discussion later on with Marcus Mosier and throughout the coming weeks. But but speaking of the offense, I want to give you my grades for the position groups on that side of the ball. Um. Just some quick thoughts. The, the unit took a big step forward in 2020, especially from a points-per-game standpoint, going from 19.6 points per game in 2019 to 27 uh, this past season. And that was that had them in the top 10. So that that's good. You, you love to see that type of progress. The big issue, though, for the offense came later in the season with the inability to convert touchdowns when in the red zone. It's been well-documented. Too many times they settled for field goals, and that that stems from a couple of different things. It stems from lack of creativity and aggressiveness by the play caller and, and, and just lack of execution on the part of the players. It, it's, it's two parties involved here. More so on the play caller, but the, the players need, still need to go out there and execute the plays that are called. And we talk so much about the defense and their responsibility in, in the in the demise of, of the Raiders in the second half of the season, but the offense deserves some criticism as well. If you're being fair, if you're being objective, then they deserve some of that criticism as well. They didn't run the ball as well. Turnovers were a major problem in the second half of the season, especially during the losing the 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 final seven games of the year. And as I said, they settled for three far too many times, and, and that that cost you. But I want to start with the quarterback. Uh, I give Derek Carr, I gave him a B this season. I gave him a B. And, and Marcus Mariota, you know, he didn't really factor into the grade because he just didn't play enough. Uh, I will say he was very good in the limited time that he got. I would have liked to see him maybe get more involved in some red zone packages earlier in the year. That didn't happen. Um, but getting back to Derek Carr, you know, we saw Carr take some some steps forward in, in his third season in Gruden's system. He set career highs in yards, quarterback rating, the 27 touchdown passes that he had was the most that he's had since 2016. He also threw in five game-winning drives. You know, he gets it done. There's no there's no doubt about it. He's very good in, in crucial situations late in the game when the team needs to come back and score. He's very good in those situations. 
And the area that I'm most pleased with um, him and, and the improvements that he showed this year is in extending plays and, and just using his legs. And it's something that Gruden had been harping on since he took over in 2018. And when we finally got to see it, some some noticeable difference, I think, in that aspect of his game this year, definitely more willing to take off and run for first downs. And I'll go back to the Cleveland game. I think that's where we saw it stand out the most, and that was the game that I was at. So I'm using that game as the example. But just really pleased uh, by what I saw there, and I'm hoping that it continues, and I'm hoping that he continues to, to to improve and make an effort to really you know, emphasize that part of his game and just want to continue to improve there. Um, Because I do think it's an area where, as I've said again many times, a lot of the great quarterbacks in this league are guys who are able to extend plays and aren't afraid to use their legs. And, um, you know, I I do think it's hard to to develop that ability. And what I mean by that is it's it's one of those things that I think is more – instinctual you, you you just have to know when you have to feel the pressure and you have to just be able to get out of there and um you know I don't think that's one of his greatest traits but I I, I to some degree I, I think if you drill it enough it is something that you can improve on now the po- the final positive that I take away from car season um is that he has really taken complete control and ownership of the offense and and um, he deserves a lot of credit for the work that he did at the line, pre-snap, getting them out of a, a bad call and, and getting them into the right one. And, and that just shows you the comfort level that he has in this offense and the level of trust that, that Gruden has in his quarterback to, to give him the, the power to make those calls. Now, of course, I do got to point out some negatives. Um, and, and some points were taken off the grade for these two reasons. And I know what you're going to tell me. I know what you're going to say, so I'm just going to put it out there now. You're going to tell me that both of these critiques that I have for him are not fully in his control. And I agree with you. Okay, I agree with you. But he he's the quarterback. Uh, he does play a role in some of these, so he deserves at least some of the blame. And the first one is the turnovers. 17 total turnovers on the season, nine interceptions and eight fumbles lost. And I'm not really going to get on him about the interceptions because nine interceptions, that's not, you know, that's not, that's not bad. You know, nine interceptions, I, I can live with that. I can live with that. But the, the, the issue is the fumbles. The fumbles lost are a concern because this season wasn't an outlier. This, this, it, this is, um, this is who he is. Okay, he he's had this issue since he's entered the league. In fact, he has the most fumbles lost of any quarterback since entering the league in 2014. He needs to find a way to protect the ball. That's the bottom line. Now, some of these plays, I know, he's 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 hit from the blind side, um, but at the same time, some of these plays he's barely touched. I mean, I've seen plays where. You know, a defender gets one or two fingers on the ball, or they bump into him, and the ball pops out. And, and as I said, this season was was not an outlier. This has been the trend for him, so needs to improve there. Seven of his nine interceptions and three of his eight fumbles lost came in the final seven games of the year. So, you know, again, this team um, two and five in those games. Not not a great stat. Ten of his seventeen turnovers came in the final seven games of the year, the most critical part of the season, and and that's where the majority, more than fifty percent of his his turnovers came. That that's that's a factor. As much as you want to point the finger at the defense, that that's that's a blame on the offense. And again, and Carr. Now the other negative. Uh, that I have, and, th- and this is this is less about him. It's more on Gruden, but it's the struggles in the red zone. Okay, and and I would say it's probably seventy five percent maybe on Gruden. Okay, that's the way I see it. Anyhow, fifty nine red zone possessions for this team, ninth most in the NFL, and they scored on 95 percent, which is great. That ranked them second in the league. That's excellent. You may be thinking to yourself, "Wow, that's that's a great that's a great number." Problem was, only fifty four 
0.2% of the time were they scoring touchdowns. And that ranked them 23rd in the league. So what that tells you is they settled for field goals way too much. And when you combine that factor, that stat, with the fact that the defense, you know, couldn't stop people, you're trading touchdowns for field goals. You're not going to win games like that. It's going to cost you games, and it's going to cost you an opportunity at making the playoffs. And as I said, that's more on Gruden. But but Carr is the quarterback, and execution was a problem as well. Now, I still feel, uh, just looking at the big picture, I still feel he is not a top 10 quarterback, and uh, he, he falls somewhere in that 11 to 15 range. That's just where I have him. That's just the way I see it. Uh, but we did see some improvement from Carr this year, and and, and that's why I gave him the, the B grade. Now, moving on to running back, I give this group a B-. And I was a little disappointed in the run game uh, this season, for the most part, um, especially in the second half. That That's where they really struggled. They're, and there's a number of factors involved um, for that reason that they struggled. Um but the fact of the matter is they didn't get it done in the run game down the stretch. That was their identity in the first 10 weeks of the season where they averaged 139 yards rushing a game, 4.4 yards per attempt. That's darn good. But in weeks 11 through 17, that number fell to 94.7 yards per game, 2.5 yards per attempt. So we're looking at a 6-3 and three record in the first 10 games versus a 2-5 and in the final seven the lack of production in the run game was was a major part of that downfall as well. Now, Josh Jacobs, he played in two more games in 2020, had 31 more attempts, but ran for less yards. Not what you want to see. Not what you want to see. He finished the season with 1,065 yards. That was his second consecutive 1,000-yard season, 12 touchdowns. The increase in touchdowns is a good sign, but the yards per carry went from 4.8 to 3.9. And uh, as we have heard, he, he, he just was not able to break off those long runs. Not, not many explosive plays from Jacobs this year. And I, I did like what I saw from him in the passing game. I know we're talking about running, but uh, I thought I'd mention it. He caught some more passes this year. And I hope they really continue to increase his, his workload there because I think he's just so good in open space. Rarely does the first guy bring him down and... He just makes people miss. So um, would love to see him getting the ball a little bit more uh, in space. I think the offense could really become even more difficult to defend uh, if they can get him to be a bigger threat uh, as a receiver. And, and there's no doubt about it. He played hurt. Uh, it affected him. Uh, but he's a tough kid, and, and I'm, I'm not really concerned about him. It was a bit of a down year, but I, I think he's got a bright future, and, and I'm a big fan. Devontae Booker, he was a pleasant surprise this year. They brought him in. Don't forget, backup running back was one of the big question marks on this squad during training camp. He filled in uh, real nice in in that role. 423 yards, 4.5 yards. Uh, That's a 4.5-yard average. Um, But, you know, as as well as as he did, I still think one of the moves that needs to be made this season, or offseason, I should say, going into next season, is upgrading the, the RB2. I, I really do. Jacobs, the, the injury history, it, it's it's concerning. So so bringing in a reliable backup where uh, there isn't such a dramatic drop-off in production. It, it just, it, it might be a smart move right now. Again, and that's not a knock on Booker, but uh, I need to see more of an impact. I, I don't want to see as much as a, a, of a, a drop-off when, when Jacobs isn't in there. And that leaves us with uh, Jalen Richard, pretty much a, a non-factor all year. Um, really, just probably the the worst year uh, of his career, the least productive year uh, for sure since he's come into the league. Had the injury where he missed a couple games, um, but just just for him, it was about opportunity. Just just really never really could never really find his. I won't say role because his role is a, is is the third down back, but just never really found his 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 chance. Like you know, opportunity is the best word I can say. Only twenty two carries and, and nineteen catches. You know, so as we saw Josh Jacobs' uh, receptions double 
or almost double from a year ago. I think they went up by 13, so I can't say double, from 20 to 33. But we saw Richard's uh, drop nearly in half. So just it, was, it all came down to opportunity for him. Now, moving on to the wide receivers, I give this group a C plus. Um, outside of Nelson Aguilar, who was great, he was a great addition to the team, and, and Hunter Renfro, there was very little production from the wide receivers. Aguilar, you can't say enough about what he did. Nobody could have expected him to come in and, and contribute the way he did. Career highs in yards, yards per reception, and tied his career high in touchdowns with eight. Um, what the Raiders decide to do with him, that is it is one of the biggest questions this offseason, or, or or I should say what he decides to do with the Raiders, because the ball is in his court. Um, he's in a very good pres- position right now to take advantage of a, a great season where he can maybe cash in, literally, and, and get himself a nice payday. Hunter Renfro, he continues to be a very reliable target for, for the quarterback. Clearly, there's a trust factor there with him and Carr. You, you, you know they have a friendship off the field, and it really carries over to on the field. 56 catches for 656 yards, and he is really progressing nicely. You know, he, he he's kind of like Jacobs. I have no real big concerns about Renfro. He's a tough kid. He's one of those kids who just, you know, as you know, he, he he's a grinder. He's just going to put his head down and work. And I think he'll be a Raider for a long, long time. And, you know, he also adds some juice in the return game, the punt return game. So I, you know, I like Renfro a lot. The big issue for the wide receiver group is the elephant in the room, and that is the lack of production from rookies Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs. And if you listen to the show, if you follow me on Twitter, you you know my thoughts on it. Those two were named starters out of training camp. Keep that in mind. You can call it a lack of off-season preparation, no preseason games, injuries, lack of opportunities, inefficient route runners, whatever you want to call it. You you can call it whatever you'd like, but they were a huge disappointment. And their development between year one and two will be so critical for this offense, especially if they are not able to retain Nelson Aguilar because now there's a big void there. There's a lot of yardage and a lot of production that is uh, is now needs to be picked up. Who knows what's going to happen between now and the time the season starts. If they don't retain Aguilar, maybe they, they go out and sign someone else. Um, maybe they add somebody in the draft. Who knows? Uh, but but if, if they do not add someone, then these two youngsters, Ruggs and Edwards, they're going to be counted on much more next season. They got to be ready to go. I like both players, and, and, and I, I think especially the case with Ruggs, again, this is just my opinion. I know there's a lot of opinions out there. He just has to be used properly. And again, if you follow me, you know my thoughts. Going on over to tight ends now, this group gets an A for me. Uh, and, I, and I know there's more to the room than just Darren Waller, but he's that good of a player. He's that good of a tight end that he elevates the entire grade of, of the group as a whole. So, um, you know, to be honest, I didn't even really consider Witten and, and Morrow and Carrier when I gave this grade. This was strictly pretty much about Darren Waller. He's a stud. Um, what what else can you say about him? He He... You know, we know he has the franchise record in receptions. His TDs, he increased that number by six this year. He got up to nine touchdowns this year. He can do it all. He can block. He can run all the routes. Uh, he can line up anywhere. He, he's truly, when you talk about matchup nightmares, uh, there's a picture of him in, in the dictionary under that under that term. So, um, and, and then the other tight ends, you know, really, if you're looking at those guys, they deserve like a D, you know? I mean... Morrow, I love, but for some reason, Gruden just has had had this infatuation with Jason Witten, and, and Witten was terrible. Yeah, you know, I it was a complete waste of money. It was a complete waste of time, and and I'm sorry. I know that's that's pretty negative, um, but the, I I I scratched my head when they signed him, and and I still don't understand why there was no reason to bring him in. I don't care how great of a leader he was. I think it was unnecessary. I think it took away from, from uh, well, I don't think. I know it took away from, from Morrow's snaps. And, and I think it hurt the offense. I really do. I, I think having him out there um, when you could have had a guy like Morrow out there, 
I don't I don't think that was a, a, a good thing for the offense. Morrow absolutely needs to be more involved next season. And and finally we end with the offensive line, which I gave a B. I gave them a grade of a B. Now going into the season, we were really excited to see this group at full strength. It was we were talking about this being one of the best offensive lines in, in football, and obviously one of the strengths of the Raider team. They've invested a lot of money in the position over the years. But like last season, the injuries just took a toll. Uh, Richie Incognito played in just two games. Trent Brown played in just five. And, and in my opinion, outside of Rodney Hudson, those are probably two of the the next best offensive linemen you have on that. So I'm talking about your your second and your third best offensive line linemen uh, not being available pretty much all season. And that, that's huge. And, and then it was just a carousel of guys on the line. Uh, with Denzel Good and Sam Young, Brandon Parker, John Simpson. And, and it all just really came to a head late in the year. And you saw how it affected the run game. And it, it just wasn't sustainable. They were able to kind of plug plug some holes here and there. But it, it, you just knew that long term, it, it couldn't be sustained. Um, offensive line coach, I think, Tom Cable, he deserves an A-plus for the job that he was able to do to hold things together as well as he did. And if you're looking for more positives, Rodney Hudson, he's as good as it gets at center. I still don't understand why he gets no respect from these all-pro voters. Colton Miller, he he is continuing to trend in the right direction. He's been a rock on the left side, uh, protecting Carr's blind side. And uh, I'm expecting more great things from him as he continues to to progress and, and, and Gabe Jackson, you know, he was a guy who I was talking about who, who I thought maybe should be let go in the off season. Cause he struggled badly last year, but he had a great bounce back season. Uh, you know, and it just shows you how, how un, important it is to be healthy, right? Last season, he was not healthy this season. He was, he looked like a totally different player. So uh, I'm glad they didn't get rid of him, and I'm glad they kept him, And I, and I definitely think he should uh, be around again next year. Now, looking ahead a little bit, Denzel Good, he's a free agent, and he's earned himself a new contract for sure. He's versatile. Um, he may not be a guy that you want to have start 16 weeks, but he's a guy that you, you feel confident throwing in there uh, if you have to for five or six weeks. He can play multiple positions, so I definitely think he's a he's a guy that they got to try to bring back. And, uh, and then the other big question marks are Incognito and Trent Brown. Both can be let go. Zero dead cap money with those two, and it would save the team around twenty-one million bucks. That's a that's a big number for a team who needs help on defense. And, and right now they're projected to be seven million dollars over the cap when the new league year begins. So keep an eye on those two guys and what their futures may be uh, w- with this team. All right, so those are my offensive grades for the twenty twenty season. Next week, I'll give you my grades for the defense, but it is time now for me to get to a quick break. And when I return, we will speak with Marcus Mosier, managing editor at Raiders Wire. And we are back here on Just Pod Baby. I'm your host, Evan Grote. We're going to dive into some off-season discussion uh, right now. And, and I want to bring in our, our first guest right now to do that. Marcus Mosier joins us. Marcus is the managing editor at Raiders Wire. You can follow him on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosher. Thanks for the time tonight. And how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Now, uh Marcus, I want to I want to start out tonight by by uh, asking you about the big news from the week, and of course that's the the hiring of, of Gus Bradley to be the new defensive coordinator. Lots of fans out there wanted to see Wade Phillips get the job. He was he was never even brought in for an interview, though. Uh, Bradley is a guy who he's he's very well respected throughout the league, and, and now he is going to be tasked with trying to turn things around for a defense that ranked thirtieth in points allowed last year. W- what are some of your initial thoughts on the hire? Yeah, I think, I mean, I understand why a lot of fans were excited for potentially bringing in Wade Phillips, but the current roster and the personnel just really doesn't fit his skill set. Now, that's not true for, for Gus Bradley. I do think this team has some pieces uh, that would fit well in that, you know, 4-3, cover-3 type of defense. And 
when you consider the the fact that he's got a lot of experience inside the division and that the team was able to retain Rod Marinelli, who I still view as one of the best defensive line coaches in all of football, I really like this combination. And I, I it might not be the best defensive coordinator in the league in Gus Bradley, but can he get them to be a respectable defense in a year or two? I don't think that's out of the equation. Yeah, uh, I agree. It may, maybe not the, the the sexiest name out there, um, but I, I I like the hire overall. Uh, one of the things I was talking about earlier in the show is, is when you look back at Bradley's time in Seattle, it was it was more of a gradual process. He got there in in two thousand and nine, and and the cupboards were were pretty bare when he got there. They brought in some really good players through the draft, and they were able to develop some of those players. But by the time he left uh, in twenty twelve, they were they were one of the top defenses in the league. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know if Raider fans have that kind of patience to 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 wait this thing out for three years, um, especially when you have an offense on the other side of the ball that that is top ten in, in scoring. Uh, but but do you think this can be a quick fix, or, or or should we should we try to you know buckle up and and sit back for the long haul? Maybe this thing takes a couple years to to get this defense to where they're playing at a respectable level. Yeah, I don't think there's any defensive coordinator in the league that's going to come right in and turn this into a great group because it's it's about the personnel that's on the field, right? There's just not enough talent right now uh, to have this be a top-10 unit. So fans are going to have to be patient. Probably the first year of Gus Bradley is going to be a little bit rough. He's gonna, it's going to take some time to get his type of players in here, his type of edge rushers and his cornerback uh, prospects, but – I do think in time, in you know, 2022, 2023, this can be a respectable defense. So uh, give him a little bit of time to work his magic. Marcus Mosier, uh, managing editor at Raiders Wire, is our guest tonight on Just Pod Baby. Now, I'm sure you, you had a chance to listen to uh, Bradley's introductory press conference uh, the other day. He talked about his philosophy that it all starts up front, and that was actually a quote for him, uh, from him. And, and, and you know from covering the team that that is not a strength of the defense right now. Uh, I want to talk to you about one of the pieces that you recently wrote about uh, up at RaidersWire.com right now about a potential free agent that the Raiders might want to kick the tires on, and that is defensive tackle Leonard Williams. He had a really good season this year, mm. career high in sacks. He's going to be one of the hot names out there in the market. So tell us, should the Raiders sign him, and what is the likelihood that you think that happens? Yeah, so obviously there's a lot of interest from the front office. Mike Mayock in the 2015 NFL draft graded Leonard Williams as the top prospect in uh, that entire class. Uh, He really broke out during the 2020 season. And if you look at their current roster, that under tackle, the three technique in this defense might be the biggest weakness. You know, they've signed Malik Collins at free agency last year. That didn't work. Maurice Terse is going into the final year of his rookie contract. They really don't have one of those guys that can beat one-on-one blocks, demand double teams, stop the run. If you add somebody like Leonard Williams, I do think that improves your edge rush as well. More one-on-one blocks for Cleveland Farrell and Max Crosby. Considering the Raiders will have a little bit of cap space once they make some moves like cutting Tyrell Williams and potentially LaMarcus Joyner, I do think that makes a lot of sense, and I think that would be a, a pretty good fit in this Raiders defense. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, certainly, Williams is a guy I'd, I'd like to see them go after myself, but uh, one of the things I, I think we Raiders fans have to keep in mind is that the Giants did acquire him uh, through a trade, so that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, are they willing to give up on a guy they, they traded um traded for and and, you know so I think there's a very strong chance that he could end up back with the Giants but I do think one other thing that I want to throw out there that the Raiders have going in their favor is that uh, when he was entering the draft he made it known that he wanted to be a Raider so who knows maybe that'll that'll pay off for Mm -hmm. the Raiders here now after addressing the defensive line I think the next spot to add a couple of pieces would be in the secondary. I think maybe a veteran corner is needed, even a safety to play alongside Jonathan Abram. I know it's it's early. Um, we, we're, we're still only in the divisional rounds of the playoff, but are there any guys out there that you've already kind of highlighted as possible targets for the Raiders uh, in free agency at the at, in the secondary? Yeah, there's actually a couple guys. Uh, the first is an, uh, an older veteran, right? So Gus Bradley comes from the Seattle 
uh, 4-3, cover-3 defense. Well, it just so happens that Richard Sherman is going to be on the free agent market. Would he be somebody that the team could bring in, let's say, on a one-year deal worth seven, eight million dollars a year? Pair him with Trayvon Mullen, you know, maybe slide Damon Arnett to the bench and rotate those guys in, and maybe Richard Sherman can help teach these guys this this cover three defense. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think Sherman uh, does like John Gruden and Mike Mayock. Uh, he's a West Coast guy. I think that makes a lot of sense. But if you're looking for uh, some other guys in free agency, a little bit younger, Marcus Williams, a safety from New Orleans. He's that true free safety, you know, ball hawking center fielder type that you need in this defense. And that's somebody that would pair really well with Jonathan Abram, you know, the in-the-box physical safety. Another one is Marcus May, who plays for the New York Jets. He's a free agent here in a couple months. Similar type of play. You can put him in the back end. Uh, he's going to make plays. He's going to find the football. So, uh, there are going to be a ton of free agent defensive backs out there that could help this team. It's just up to Mike Mayock and John Gruden to find the right ones. Now, we're talking about uh, free agency, maybe some possible guys to bring in. We talked about Leonard Williams. You mentioned Richard Sherman. Uh, in order to do that, though, they have to free up some some money here. Um, I, I saw that you had a piece out again on on Raiders Wire that uh, as of right now, the Raiders are projected to be seven million dollars over the cap when the new league year opens. L- let's put on your GM hat here for a minute. Talk to us about some of the ways you believe they will free up some money in the coming weeks. You just mentioned one, Tyrell Williams. Are there any others out there that you think are are potential um, cap hits? Yeah, I think LaMarcus Joyner is one. He played much better this year than he did in 2019. Uh, but the Raiders can save upwards of $10 million if they release him. Uh, Marcus Mariota, it was nice to bring him in for some insurance. But that's another one where you can save $9, 10000000 million if you release him. And then Trent Brown. This was difficult because when Trent Brown is healthy, he's maybe the best right tackle in all of football. But he just can't stay healthy. He's missed a ton of games in the last two years for the Raiders. Could they potentially cut him and draft a right tackle to replace him and use that money on defense? Maybe they put, slide in Brandon Parker or Sam Young at that spot. It's just it's a lot of money for a guy in Trent Brown who can't stay on the field. Yeah, and I think another one of the the big names from the offensive line that you, you might want to keep an eye on is uh, Richie Incognito. He's he can be cut with uh, yeah. six, and that would save the team six point five million. So uh, he's another guy we should keep our eye on. L- last one I, I have for you: We're talking about free agency here, but the Raiders also have some guys of their own who are going to be free agents here uh, in, in a couple weeks. The three names I want to ask you about are Nelson Aguilar, Nicholas Morrow, and Denzel Good. All of them coming off some some really good seasons. Do you? expect the Raiders to make a strong push to keep any of these guys? Yeah, they probably can't bring back all three. So it's prioritizing one or two of those guys. And I think Nelson Aguilar is the first one. Uh, Derek Carr obviously loves him. He was fantastic this season. It's pretty clear that he can play with Darren Waller and Henry Ruggs. Uh, and I think you, you don't really want to force Brian Edwards into a starting role yet. So Nelson Aguilar back on a one-year deal, maybe worth seven, eight million dollars. That makes a lot of sense. And then it has to be Denzel Good, who filled in for Richie Incognito admirably at the left uh, left guard spot. Uh, Good seems like he's a little bit of an ascending player right now. Uh, Tom Cable obviously likes him. You don't have a lot of other options there outside of John Simpson uh, to potentially replace Incognito if you cut him. Uh, I think that's what you have to do is bring back Good, bring back Aguilar, you paid a bunch of money for Corey Littleton in free agency last year. You've got to hope that he plays better. Uh, maybe Tanner Muse factors in more next year at the linebacker spot, but uh, it's unfortunate because Morrow's playing the best football of his career, but uh, I think he's going to walk in free agency. Yeah, there's going to be a lot lot going on here for Raider fans in the next couple of months. Uh, Marcus Mosier, Managing Editor at Raiders Wire for USA Today. Great job tonight, Marcus. Thanks again for your time, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Evan. Anytime. 
excellent spot there with Marcus Mosier. And I thought he made a great point, and it's something that I tweeted out about the other day. You have to imagine part of what made Bradley such an attractive candidate, in addition to being a, a great coach, is is his experience within the division, having spent the last four years as the D.C. with the Chargers. And he's also had some success against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So that is something that I forgot to mention earlier, and, and Marcus reminded me of that during our, our conversation. So I think that's a, that's a great point he made there. Okay, I'm going to keep things moving along. Those of you who are fans of mock drafts, if you love talking about all the prospects that are coming out and speculating where they all may go in the draft, you don't want to miss the conversation with our next guest. Joining us now on the guest line is Anthony Tresh, who is a senior college football analyst at Pro Football Focus, and this week he put out his mock draft 1.0. So I thought it, uh, we'd get him on the show to discuss some of his thoughts and and some of the and, and some of the picks that he made, and just just get some of his general thoughts about some of the prospects that are coming out. Anthony, thanks for the time tonight and welcome to Just Pod Baby. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Anthony, I, I, I want to begin by asking you first just to kind of defend analytics for a minute. I, I think there's a lot of, there, there's differing opinions out there uh, on the analytics side of the game. I'm personally a big fan of it. I like what you guys do over at uh, Pro Football Focus and I think there's some value in it, but obviously um, there's some some fans out there that, that think, uh, that don't put a ton of weight in, it, in the analytics and, and uh, what do you say to those people out there who might be skeptical of the grades that Pro Football Focus puts out? Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting and I think, you know, more people will adapt to it as the years come just because, I mean, it, the league is still being run by, you know, the traditionalists, the the football guys from, you know, back early in the day that this, this did not exist. You know, this was an early baseball thing, you know, early this century and then, you know, football starting to come around recently and you see the way like for example this uh, in the wild card with the indianapolis colts they made some you know very interesting decisions to some teams just because it was very analytical based and it didn't work out for them and it's not that because you know what they did you know going for it um in a few different occasions was the bad you know the wrong call and the data actually said that you know mathematically you are more likely to win the game if you actually try and go for this it doesn't impact the win probability if you do not get it it was just more about the execution you know, so that those two things kind of go hand in hand and, you know, when the execution doesn't work, then you just kind of have that, you know, well, this is the analytics fault, you know, we're not going to follow that type of thing, you know, with the PFF grades too, you know, it's not the be all end all, you know, whether or not, you know, just because this player is higher than this player doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to be better from the long term. you know, they're, they're very predictive, you know, especially college to pro, but at the same time, just because one college quarterback is a higher graded than one doesn't mean he's going to be, he is a better pro prospect because Trevor Lawrence, he wasn't the highest graded quarterback this year. Um, but then, but there are signs within his data that show, you know, he actually, you know, look at the duration of his entire career, stuff like that. And then you kind of have to pair that, you know, the grades and all of the data um, in the college to pro projections with what you see on tape on the field. And you kind of have to look at the scheme and the offense he was in, you know, was it limited? Was it not? I mean, that goes for every single player. So, you know, it, I think the biggest problem with a lot of people is that they just take it very heavy and that we're definitively saying, you know, one thing and that we are 100% with the analytics and, you know, what the grading system said. But, you know, I think that is a good point of reference for everybody. I think that tells you and directs you to the answer. And then that helps you find the answer. It's not, you know, the absolute 100% answer, but I think, you know, teams that do use analytics, they're going to have the best opportunity to win the games just because, you know, it's better to, you know, tell you what the math does as opposed to your gut. Yeah, and I think you touched on something really, really a good point there when you talked about some some fans out there um, think that the grades you put out are the uh, end-all, be-all. And, and really, I think what it comes down to is that pro football focus is just another tool that's available other than just the eye test that that gives you a, a way to evaluate players' performance. So again, I, I'm a big fan of it, and, and I like what you guys are doing over there uh, at Pro Football Focus. Now the Raiders, they have some big-time needs on the defensive side of the ball. Most would say the defensive line would be the, the place to start, both on the interior and on the edge. Take your pick. It doesn't really matter. They need help both places. But I want to ask you about... Uh, your top prospects uh, at both interior and defensive uh, interior defensive line and on the edge. Go ahead and, and just toss a couple names out there for us and, and what you like about their games. Yeah, you know, th- it, this draft class is very interesting. I think, 
you know, it's a very weak class and there's only three positions of strength that I can really, you know, definitively say this is above average as opposed to other years. And they're all on the offensive side of the ball, quarterback, wide receiver and tackle. And you look at the defense, it is a very, very weak class at every single position, including interior defensive line and along the edge where the Raiders desperately need help. I think Christian Barmore, you know, for interior defensive line, I think he is absolutely 100 percent the top defensive tackle in the class. And I don't think anyone's even challenging for that. Yeah, I wouldn't even – I would say he's in a tier of his own. And then that next tier, there's nobody. And then that's when you get them to that third tier where that next crop of, you know, interior defense linemen are. You know, I would expect Christian Barmore to probably go mid – the mid-ish, right around where Las Vegas is picking in this upcoming first round, especially after this college football playoff. And it was absolutely incredible. He showed all the traits you could possibly want you know, the, the strength, the agility, the flexibility for the position. I mean, he absolutely dominated one of the best offensive lines in college football at Notre Dame. Um, he put up an elite get, uh, pass rush grade for that game, if I recall, um, put up a, a lofty pressure total, and he just absolutely feasted against some very good competition. And so, you know, that was very, you know, promising to see. We were expecting kind of a Quinn and Williams-esque rise from him in the start of the year, and it was a little slow, but we finally got that towards the end of the season. So he's kind of the next best or he is the best, and the next best is probably yeah, probably a Lee McNeil, NC State, and then Levi on Muzaruki. Um, I would say they're kind of in the tier, probably those second-round guys when you're starting to get down into the third round where I wouldn't, you know, put too much into that, you know, expect them to produce right away. And those guys are like Marvin Wilson, you know, Davion Nixon from Iowa. So, I mean, that is in another week one. And then two along the edge, you know, it's it's this one's a very interesting class just because the top three guys are all they've they've showed flashes, but you know it's all about kind of the potential just because they had you know the physical tools and that's you know Quiddy Pay he's our edge one and then it's Gregory Rousseau and then Jason Owe, um, and they they all showed flashes like I said especially Quiddy Pay and Jason Owe. If you look at those Indiana games, you're going to think you know those guys are going to be stars in the NFL, but I would take those games with a grain of salt because those Indiana tackles are really, really bad. Um, but so when looking at their course of the whole season, their production kind of slips just a little bit. Um, but they, I mean, they have everything you could want from an athleticism standpoint. And then with Gregory Rousseau, you know, he did have, I think it was somewhere 15 or 16 sacks back in 2019, didn't play in 2020, opted out due to COVID-19. And then he, I mean, that was kind of a, uh, a noisy stat. Sacks are always a noisy stat just because over half of those sacks were either a cleanup um, or an unblocked pressure, you know, whether or not the quarterback ran right into him, something like that, that over half of those sacks were something of that nature. And when you look at his pass rush grade, you know, his win rate, his pressure rate, he fell outside the top 50 in the entire FBS. So, but when you look at him, I mean, he, he just pretty much has, he has the body that you want along your defensive line. I mean, the guy's an absolute monster. Um, so those three guys are just basically their, their potential picks. Um, and, you know, I think they're pretty risky. Um, that's why I, I would be in Las Vegas shoes in the, in the mock I had. I had him picking Traylon Morig, and this is the mock I put out was, you know, what I would do, not necessarily what I'm going to, what I think will happen. Um, but I, I would assume it's attacking defensive back there, especially if Morig's on the board or if, you know, even corner, if somehow Patrick Sertain fell to 17. I mean, you have to sprint that card in or, you know, hurry up down the phone, get that pick in. I don't think that's going to happen, but if some something of that nature happens, they have to do it just because, you know, cornerback's the most important position on the field or on the defensive side of the ball. They really need help at corner still. I mean, Trayvon Mullen and, uh, you mean, especially Damon Arnett didn't really show a lot when he was in that limited sample. And granted, was his rookie year. You're not going to get standout play at the cornerback position in your rookie year, but he kind of looked like the prospects we were expecting, which wasn't a first-round guy from the start. So I think it's going to be you – know, they're kind of in an interesting spot, especially what their needs are. Anthony Tresh is our guest tonight, senior college football analyst at Pro Football Focus, giving us some great information here on the draft. Um, you, you talked about Trayvon Morig uh, as the guy that you selected to the Raiders uh, in your mock, and we'll get to a little bit more on that in a minute. But uh, I want to ask you about the, the safety prospects. Outside of, of the kid from TCU, do you, who are some of the other names that Raider fans should begin to familiarize themselves with? Yeah, I mean... You know, I was talking about how the interior defensive lineman and the edge class is weak. I think the safety class is probably even weaker, unfortunately, for Raiders, Raiders Nation there. Um, Trayvon Morig is definitely the best. He's probably the only one that will get taken in the first round, and rightfully so. And then after that, I mean, it's really kind of a toss-up. You have Ardarius Washington, also from TCU, who kind of struggled a little bit this year. But then you go back and watch him from 2019. 
he looked like a bolt of lightning out there. He did a little bit this past season, but he was just making play after play in 2019. So he, he he's a kind of a risky pick still, especially in that second round range. Um, and then you also have Andre Cisco, who he, I've never seen you know a more boom or bust type of player in my life. I mean, it's it's absolutely crazy how he can go from making one play look ridiculously good and you know making an incredibly play incredible play on the ball, but then he's just going to give up a 40 yard catch the next play. You know, we, he's done that so many times throughout his time at Syracuse. So, I mean, I, I, possibly you can get out of that just because the, the Syracuse defense was a little aggressive, too. Elijah Molden uh, from Washington, the slot corner, he's a very interesting one. I do think he's a little bit undervalued. Um, kind of, He's going to be pigeonholed to the slot in the box. There's no doubt about that. But he has been one of the best slot corners in all college football. He was, for sure, hands down, um, regardless of draft class. Back in 2019, we only saw him in four games this year due to the Pac-12 and Washington having some COVID issues, but he looked like that same elite guy. He's looking like a second-round type of guy right now, but I think he's going to do some really, really good things in the NFL. I think he's being a little bit overlooked. So we just talked about how you went with the safety uh, for the Raiders at pick 17, and there's no doubt about it. It's it's a need for the Raiders. They they need to, to get a safety to play alongside Jonathan Abram. Uh, but when I look at the way your your board fell, uh, there was a couple of, of really good defensive linemen, and you touched on a couple of those guys. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, I saw Azim uh, Ojolari was was still available at, at pick seventeen, as well as Christian Barrymore. Uh, those are all going to be attractive options for John Gruden and Mike Mayock. Why did you decide to prioritize safety ahead of the pass rush? Yeah, it's the most important it's more important than the pass rush i mean coverage is more valuable than pass rush obviously you know i i 100 think they're going to attack the pass rush I, I, that's what i think is going to happen and i understand why because that pass rush is not good at all um you know and i wouldn't be i wouldn't be too mad if they got a guy like you know if gregory Rousseau's there i think he actually might can take it a little bit earlier than that um aziz ojalari i did mention him earlier he's another good one an explosive explosive pass rusher had a great breakout year this past season for georgia um, but I, I would just attack, you know, coverage because that's what matters most. And we were looking at, you know, Raiders, you know, the pass rush has been bad. The data shows it's been bad, but the data shows that their coverage unit has been one of the worst in the NFL for probably the last four years or so. Um, I mean, they've been, you know, almost dead last in the EPA per play allowed in, you know, secondary grade over the last uh, few seasons. You know, they, they just need to be throwing, you know, they need to be throwing darts, you know, just keep throwing it until you, you know, keep swinging the bat until you find some guys that can actually play in the secondary. You know, I was really hoping this past off season, they'd go out and get a guy, maybe like Byron Jones, break the bank. Fortunately that did not happen for him. Um, so I, I think you've got to keep, you know, taking cracks at the back and making sure you get that, you know, good secondary together, just because like I said, Trayvon Mullen, um, you know, Damon Arnett hasn't really shown a lot so far this year. I'm not giving up on him completely. And then Jonathan Abram, too, he was one of the lowest graded, if not the lowest graded, safety in coverage. So, I mean, they, I think that's a more important area to address for him. Um, but I do think in the end they're probably going to attack the pass rush. Yeah, I've got just one more for you. I, I want to ask you about one of my favorite players in the, this year's class. And I'm going to butcher the name. Uh, Jeremiah, is it Awuso? Karamoa? Karamoa? Um, yeah. yeah, you probably can say it a lot better than I can, but I, I just love these, these hybrid guys that can, can do multiple things. Uh, you know, he's kind of a, a mix between a, a safety and a linebacker. I wouldn't mind him being the pick if he was there for the Raiders. Tell me what you see in his game and, and what you like. And do you think it translates to the NFL? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's, I mean, he's definitely the next best line off ball. If you want to label him as an off ball linebacker after Michael Parsons, I mean, like you said, Jeremiah Usu Koromoa. Um, sometimes I just refer to, him, refer to him as J-O-K, you know, Jock there, just because that's easier to say. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's a very instinctual and physical player. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's an explosive guy, too, an incredible athlete out there. And, you know, he was basically – he defended the slot. He was a slot corner. He was the Irish um, – they're fight, fighting Irish's rover on their defense. So, basically, he played the slot most of the time. And he put up the third-best slot coverage grade in all of college football this year. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. I mean, when we look at, you know, the PFF wins above average, which is war basically for the college level wins above replacement, which is, you know, a baseball metric back, uh, made up back in the day. We actually developed our own here. And at, obviously at the college level, you can't pick up a replacement player off the street. So it's just wins above average, at the, you know, at the position. 
And, you know, we kind of labeled him as that off-ball linebacker, and, you know, he was the most valuable player at that position, even though he was kind of manning the spot. But he was absolutely exceptional this year. Very few big plays given up, constantly making defensive stop. You know, he's just absolutely obliterating stuff underneath. You know, I would not be mad if the Raiders attacked that either. I would probably be in favor, you know, after if the guy like Trayvon Morig or if Patrick Chapin somehow fell there. I, I wouldn't be mad with Jeremiah Wusukormo there for him. Anthony Tresh, senior college football analyst at Pro Football Focus. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony. Thanks for your insight tonight and keep up the great work. Of course. Thanks for having me on. All right. Wow. Talk about a wealth of knowledge. Real good job there by Anthony Tresh. I hope you guys enjoyed both of our guests tonight and make sure you give both of those guys a follow over on Twitter. And while you're at it, give me a follow as well at egroat 5 And if you're new to the podcast, click the subscribe button. We'd love to have you on board. Also, guys, feel free to leave me some feedback with a rating and review. I'd love to hear from you guys, good or bad. But that is going to do it for this week. Big thanks to our guests tonight, Marcus Mosier of Raiders Wire and Anthony Tresh of Pro Football Focus. We've got a nice weekend ahead of us of playoff football, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Evan Grote, and as always, just win, baby.